Well, probably like some of y'all from time to time, I get asked the question, what's your favorite Bible verse? Or, or what's your favorite book of the Bible? I tell you, I have a hard time answering that question because I think they're all so good. Now, I don't mean to sound super spiritual or anything like that. I mean, certainly there are some verses that kind of jump out as a little bit more inspirational. There's verses that are a little bit easier to understand or a little bit easier to apply. But it's my belief, it's my experience that when you spend time anywhere in God's book and, and you spend the appropriate time studying and understanding what's happening there, you're going to find, you're going to see its beauty you're going to see its depth, you're going to see its wisdom, its richness, and you will thank God for His wonder in what He revealed in that particular verse. So it really is all wonderful. It is all good. It can all be a favorite. Now, like you, I do have some, some verses that tend to inspire me a little bit more than others. One that I've always enjoyed for a long time comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's verses 1 and 2. It says, Before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and by His kingdom, I solemnly charge you, proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether it's convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. I love right there in the center of that verse, those three words, proclaim the message. Now, I just use the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. That's what you have there in the seats. That's what I read from. Most translations on those three words say, preach the word. Now, you can see why that might get me a little bit excited, why that might help inspire me. As a matter of fact, most translations will translate that, preach the word. Probably the better translation is that word proclaim. And the reason I say that is because a lot of us, when we hear that word preach, that means we're off the hook. You know, that's what a certain person does. The guy, the guy up there on the... You know, I've noticed since we've had these big screens, I'm, I'm pretty good looking on that screen. <laughs> I wish I could see my face. I, no matter how I turn, I can't really look, look head on, but... And I've also noticed on the screen, I'm like 6'3". Have y'all noticed that? I, I was preaching about something, wasn't I? Proclaim the word, that's it. That, that when we hear that word preach, we think it's that guy. Or we hear that word preach, and that's an activity that, that goes on up here. But that's not what that word right there in the Greek language means. I mean, in the Greek language, there is a word that refers to that person, that refers to this activity. But that's not the word used right there. The word used right there very simply means to herald, to, to announce. It means to proclaim. And it's something that every believer, every follower of Christ is called to. It simply means my life is about proclaiming the message, whether it's with my voice or whether it's with how I live. Folks, people should watch your marriage and my marriage and they should see what Scripture says. They should look at how I handle finances or how I go through a hard time or a good time and they should see what Scripture says. My life, my voice should proclaim the message. So should yours. As a matter of fact, as I look at these verses, folks, they ought to rattle us a little bit. 
We, 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 I don't think we can read these verses enough, meditate on them long enough. Do you see what it says there? Paul's writing and he says, before God and Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? He's saying, with God as my witness, I've charged you with this command. You see, folks, one day you and I are going to stand in the courts of heaven. And probably on more than one occasion, we're going to say, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Well, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. And there's going to be a witness there that says, no, I was there. I witnessed it when you were charged with this call. And look who the witness is. God the Father and God the Son. As a matter of fact, not only are they the witness, but that passage said they're also the judge. The judge and the witness, they're one and the same. This is one of these passages that says you can run, but you can't hide. Folks, this is what we will stand and give testimony to in the courts of heaven of our life. Did our life show the Scripture? Did our lives proclaim the message? I wonder if we would take that challenge, that call, a little more seriously. Work at it a little bit more faithfully, a little bit more effectively. If, if just periodically we reminded ourselves, wow, the judge, he is coming back. And I'm going to be judged for how and if I did this. We've been talking for four weeks now about what we want people to see when they come see this building. What we want people to see when they come to this church. We've talked about them seeing God's glory. We, we've talked about them seeing our love for one another. We've talked about them seeing our compassion for the world. Today, folks, I would say when they come to Colonial Heights Baptist, we want them to see the Bible. We want them to see the Bible. And, and this is a very profound part, in my opinion, of what we want them to see because you and I live in a world that, that doesn't believe in this book anymore. As a matter of fact, the problem's even bigger than not believing in the Bible. They don't even believe in truth. Most surveys of the American culture say we don't believe in absolute truth, that there's an absolute right and an absolute wrong. You just pick your truth. I mean, there's lots of religions. There's lots of holy books. Pick one. Pick one that, that works for you. I'll pick one that works for me. That'll be your truth. This will be my truth and we'll all get along. Well, but what if our truths disagree? Well, what if our truths actually contradict each other? Oh, that's not important. Don't worry about it. We can all be right. Well, folks, I can guarantee you this one thing. If we're all right, we're all wrong. No, there is one unique absolute truth. And it's given to us in this book called the Bible. Now, that, it does beg the question, well, who said? I mean, there are a lot of holy books. Which, why, why is this the best one? Why is this the one? Well, for several reasons. First of all, God said so. Would you turn and look with me this morning at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some there in the chairs. They're not under every chair, but kind of spaced out. You can kind of look in front of you and point, and I'm sure somebody will hand you one. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Now, if we're going to talk about the centrality, the centrality of the Bible in our lives, the centrality of the Bible in our gathering, there's a lot of verses that we can go to that talk about the importance of Scripture. I, I, I'm using one today I don't think we go to very much. It's real simple. It doesn't, doesn't say a whole lot. just says it very succinctly 
and simply. Look with me, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read just verse 13. It says, until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Until I come, the center of your gathering is to be the reading. Read it out loud. Don't just refer to it. Actually, read it out loud. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture. When you gather together, it should be the Scripture that you use to encourage, to exhort, to challenge each other. When you gather together, it's the Scripture, the Scripture that is to be taught. So you see, God places this book at the center of what we do when we come together. You know, if you've been coming here for any amount of time, you've probably noticed that when I get to that point in the sermon, when I say, turn with me to, that I usually take a minute or two before I actually read it. I'll usually say the passage two, three, four times. I I give everybody a chance to get there. I do that for a couple reasons. One, I don't like when somebody tells me to turn the Scripture and then they're done reading it before I get there. Do you? Y'all know what I'm talking about? That that seems to happen to me a lot. I can't find it and they're, they're halfway done reading. I'm trying to find it. But the other reason is because, folks, when I, when I go to read, I think it's important that you visibly, physically are holding this and looking at it and that we all together understand what we're interacting with. Because we haven't gathered here today to interact with the pastor. We've gathered to interact with God's Word. We haven't gathered to understand and to study what Randy says, but we've gathered to understand and study what God says. I think the most important thing is that when you're driving out of here off the lot, and sometimes you have a few moments to think about what you've heard, that you're thinking not about what the pastor said this morning, but you're realizing, man, God spoke. God said something, and you're interacting with what God said. So when we talk about why is this the one book, it's because God said this is what is to be the center of our lives and the center of our gathering. This book is also unique because of its authority. And because of its impact. Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy? Shouldn't take us long to get there. God strategically placed it right after 1 Timothy. Wasn't that good of him? 2 Timothy. Few pages over. Chapter 3 this time. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. It says there, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing those from whom you've learned. And that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture from in the beginning in Genesis to amen, the last word in Revelation. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. It's profitable for four things, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting For training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. I love that word complete. What's it mean? Finished. Here all the time, man. How how do we grow in the Lord? How do we grow up in the Lord? How are we prepared for whatever is to come? The answer is in Scripture. It's always in Scripture. Of course, a lot of times life comes roaring at us. And you know what? We haven't been building our lives in Scripture So we're not ready for what life has to throw at us. We go fumbling through this book if we think to even turn and look at it and we're not ready. 
The time is now to begin building my life in Scripture because it results in me being complete, mature, finished, grown up. Now, we don't worship the Bible. I think it's very important that we see that. It says that salvation comes through studying the Scripture in faith in Christ. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God who gave us the Bible. We're not saved by the Bible, but rather we're saved when we go to the one who the Bible introduces us to. It introduces us to the Savior of the Bible. You know, man has in his ability to know there's a God without a Bible. But that's about the limit of it. A God. We have the ability to acknowledge a God without the Bible. Without the Bible, we have the ability to look around and say, you know what, something's not quite right here. We have the ability to look within and say, something's not quite right here. But see, I need to go to Scripture to learn the name of that God, Yahweh, and His Son, Jesus Christ. I have to go to Scripture to find out what's wrong around here and what's wrong in here. It's called sin. Every problem on this planet, every bit of it, goes back to one thing. We want to live in a way that's outside of the way God said to live. And God only says to live this way because it makes life work. It's what makes the earth work. No, we know better, don't we? And we'll do it the way we want to do it. There's sin. There's all the problems we have in this planet. It's the scripture that shows us all that. Of course, it's the scripture that also shows us the solution. And that solution is Jesus Christ. The scripture shows us that, that faith in him, faith for his work for us on the cross will wash away that sin, will give us the power and the ability to rise above that sin. More importantly, the power and the ability to rise above death. To be a child of God and live eternally with Him. It's the Scripture that shows us all of that. It has everything we need for life, for faith, for godliness. You see here it says that all Scripture is inspired. Every bit of it is inspired by God. Real important to know about that word inspired. We use that in a couple of different ways in the English language. We can refer to somebody out on an athletic field and say, man, they played inspired today. That means they were motivated. They were, they were passionate. They were just playing above themselves. Or we might read a book and say, boy, that, that was really inspiring. Or maybe somebody writes us a letter. Say, man, you really inspired me. That means it, it encouraged me. It, it challenged me. That's not what this word is referring to. This word is referring to the process by which God made sure every word in this book was his word. Every idea in this book is his idea. That word inspired literally means God breathed. Every word here is God breathed. Now as we say that, we don't mean that Isaiah, Ezekiel, Moses, Matthew, John, Paul, we don't mean that they were just taking mindless dictation. As God spoke. No, man, we studied the scriptures and we see that each book took place at a specific spot in history and it rises up out of a certain set of circumstances and things going on. We study each of the writers of the Bible and man, we see there's a personality and there's a perspective and that personality, that perspective comes through in their writing. But it was God's inspiration. It was that work of inspiration that gathered these writers and what they were doing and assured that it was God's word with all of his authority and with all of his trustworthiness. You know, in the Bible, we are introduced to the living word, Jesus Christ. And that living word is fully God and fully man. 
Of course, we also see we have the written word. And it too is fully God, fully man. God superseding as men write to make sure that what we have is God's word. We have all of the authority of heaven, all of the wisdom of heaven, all of the truth of heaven at our disposal when we're reading God's word. And it's because of that that it profits so much in our lives. And you see these four words here. We could do a great word study on each of these words. All of them have some, some great in-depth meaning. But there's a great Bible scholar, Bible teacher named Warren Wearsby who did a great job of just summing these four words up in four lines. You see them there on the screen. This word is profitable for teaching. That is, it tells us what's right. It's profitable for rebuking. It tells us what is not right. It is profitable for correcting. It tells us how to get right. And it's profitable for training us in righteousness. It tells us how to stay right. Folks, we can take those four statements and we can bring them to every area of our lives. I go to my marriage. I go to my thought life. go to my finances, my relationships. I've got this jerk that I work with. Well, I shouldn't say that. Y'all know all the people I work with. They're all on staff here. It's a hypothetical jerk. And I've got all these questions, these frustrations, these things I'm trying to answer in life. And I go to Scripture and it tells me what's right, what is not right, how to get it right, and how to stay right. It has everything we need for life, for faith, for godliness. Everything you're dealing with. The answer's in there. Folks, in this book, we have all of the authority of heaven. And we have in this the power to see lives changed. No wonder Paul over and over and over calls you and I to proclaim the message. And not just to do it, but to do it with pride, to do it with conviction, to do it with boldness and excitement. We have the answer. We have the message. There's not a whole bunch of messages to sort through and figure out. We have the message, Jesus Christ. And he is revealed in this book, the Bible. This is what people need to see. When they come to Colonial Heights Baptist. Now somebody can say. Well you know what. That's real insightful. A lot of neat verses. But isn't that kind of the. Isn't that just kind of the Bible promoting itself? Isn't that kind of self promotion? Well you know what. We see the, the specialness of what we have in the Bible. The uniqueness in what we have. As we compare it to other books. Throughout history that we've been given. You know as you look into history folks. folks there is no book. That has been more attacked more vilified, more outlawed, more scrutinized than the Bible. Do you realize when we want to find something wrong, we can do it? Ask a politician. If they've got anything to hide, we're going to find it sooner or later, and it's going to be on the front page, it's going to be in the media. We specialize in dirt. It's our gift, it's our ability. We're going to find it. And folks, for 2,000 years... Thousands upon thousands of people have been looking for what is wrong, for what doesn't add up, for what doesn't make sense, and they can't do it. They can't disprove this book historically, scientifically, or spiritually. It hasn't been done. Shouldn't that say something? They said, well, no, 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 wait a minute, Pastor. I mean, I, I, I thought some of that has kind of been done. Gosh, I mean, we turn to Genesis 1, it says God, God created the world, and God created each animal and he created us different from the animals. But don't we kind of know that not to be the truth? Folks, it's not ignorant to say evolution's not the truth. It's a theory. That's the truth. 
The truth is, evolution is man's best guess at how we got here when we don't want to believe in a God. And I've always believed it takes a whole lot more faith to believe in blind chance than it does an intelligent designer. That's their problem. But just because we are surrounded by a world that says we came from monkeys does not disprove the Scripture. One theory does not disprove another theory. It's just a theory. Evolution is just a theory. It has not disproved anything. People have gone through the Bible throughout the centuries and say, gosh, the, the Bible talks about this city or, or this king. And, and we, you know, we can't find it anywhere in history. The Bible seems to be talking about something that's not really there. But then, lo and behold, we go up and we start digging things up. And every time archaeology finds something, it proves one more thing about the Bible. Every time science, history, archaeology take a step forward, they don't disprove the Bible. They prove the Bible. The Bible has never been disproved. And there's a lot of people trying to do it. Doesn't that say something about the uniqueness of this book? That it has withstood all of those attacks. Not only does science show that, but folks don't change lives over and over and over. Show the Bible. You know, another thing that is unique about Scripture is when it is compared to other ancient writings. You know, we don't have what is called original autographs. Original autographs means we don't have the piece of paper that Paul wrote on. We, we don't have the piece of paper that Matthew wrote on. We also don't have the piece of paper that Plato wrote on or, or Sophocles. We, we don't have any of those things. What we have is copies. But then that begs the question, well, how do I know I'm really reading what Matthew wrote? How, how do I know I'm really reading? If we don't have the actual piece of paper, how do we know? Well, literary scientists, this is not a Christian exercise. Literary scientists have come up with a way of testing the reliability and the authenticity of ancient writings so that we can find out or we can have a good educated guess. Is this the real thing? And they've come up with a system of looking at when it was written, looking at the earliest copies and how many copies and the agreement of those copies to say this is authentic. Let me show you some of history's best. You might be familiar with some of these. Look at this chart. Anybody remember me reading Homer's Iliad? You, you remember that, few of you? Okay, nobody reads in here. Uh, Homer's Iliad is the single best historical document as far as reliability and authenticity. You see there, it was written in 800 B.C., Earliest copies, 400 B.C., only a 400-year gap. That might sound like a lot to you and me, doesn't it? But it's real, in this kind of science right here, that's not. That's real close. We have 642 copies that all are in agreement. So, in other words, scientists, literary scientists, would open up your copy of Homer's Iliad and say, you are reading what Homer wrote. Now, look at the next one. Annals is in the number two spot. Look at the drop from number one to number two, from 640-some copies to 20 copies, from a 400-year gap to an 1,100-year gap. And folks, there's quite a difference there, isn't there? This, though, is your top two, three, four best ones up there. You see Plato. Plato's not really a number three. I just thought some of y'all might recognize that name. He's like in fifth or sixth. You know, these are, so, these, in other words, folks, these are writings that historians would say these are authentic, reliable documents. Okay, using their science, let's run the Bible. Let's run the New Testament through that test. Look at this. 
the Bible was written, or the New Testament was written between 50 and 100 A.D. Actually, the first book in the New Testament was Galatians, written in 49 A.D. last one was Revelation, 95 A.D. Our earliest copy, it's just a fragment of John. Our earliest copy is 114 A.D. We have copies of everything, pieces, fragments, holes, up to 325 A.D. Only a 50 to 225-year time gap. And look how many copies. Do y'all see what I'm seeing? There is zero comparison. I mean, uh, the Bible is second to none. Now, you know what? You're probably not going to remember all of this chart tomorrow. You know, you'll be standing there at the coffee and say, you know what I learned? Plato, Plato wrote 4,000 things 900 years apart. And the Bible's a lot better. Yeah, you'll probably mess this chart up at coffee time tomorrow, okay? The important thing is not remembering this chart. The important thing is remembering, folks, there is no more reliable document that mankind owns in its authenticity than the Scriptures. And it's not Christians that came up with that statement. Literary scientists show that. If you can't accept the Bible as an authentic, reliable document, then you can't accept anything that man's ever written. Because there is no second place to the Bible. Folks, do you see that why it is with such great pride and such conviction that we should stand for the message of the Bible, the message of Christ Jesus? Paul calls us to proclaim this with our voice, to proclaim it with our lives. Folks, when people come to Colonial Heights Baptist Church, they should see me preaching the Word. They should also see you proclaiming this Word with your voice and with your life. You know, these things that we've looked at, I've been trying week after week to say it's not just my job. It's not just the building's job to show these things to a watching community. It's all of our job. And you know what? On this issue of of, of teaching the Bible, there's probably the biggest disconnect. This is probably the most we say, no, no, that, that's your job. That's what we hired you to do. No, that's the Sunday school teacher's job. That, that's what they do. Could I just remind you real quickly as we conclude what God said? He said before God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and by His kingdom, I solemnly charge you I solemnly charge you I solemnly charge you it is your life that is to proclaim and teach the word of God gosh that sounds big so overwhelming and we might feel so not up to the task how do you do that you know it really actually is not that hard You read the Bible every day. You obey it every day. And you ask God every day. Lord, could some piece of my life show what your word teaches to a watching world? You'll be judged on that. And that judge is coming back. Let's pray.
Father, it makes me nervous to think of people watching my life. Much less the expectation that they would see your word in it. But God, I want that. I want my marriage to show the beauty of your commands, your designs about how a man and a wife relate in marriage. God, when I'm going through a bad time and things are really falling apart, I want my kids, I want my friends to see your word directing, your word guiding, your word being lived out in my life. God, I want to obey this command. We want to obey it. We want to be a people who show the world what the Bible says. Certainly with our voice, but with our lives also. Oh God, would you make us a people who proclaim the message. It's in your name, Jesus, that we ask this. Amen.